You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And we're back with Dirty Slots Part 2, Gavin. Is it that is. correct? It is, yes. This is Dirty Slots Part 2. So you want to kick her off, just do a little recap of what we talked about last week, and then you can jump right into where we Yeah, so last time, uh, Dirty Slots Part 1 was uh was Sammy Terran and Sammy was uh a guy basically in the Twin Cities of Minnesota who ran jukeboxes around you know he had jukebox routes but he also uh got involved in various other criminal schemes um he would get in trouble for just about everything uh, he got in trouble with immigration authorities uh, like you do cuz he was born in Russia so he wasn't uh wasn't a citizen and uh yeah he ends up uh, basically retiring into Florida and lives a lives a happy life. And he's not super important to part two. Other than that, he helped get his niece's husband, uh, Herman Pastor, into the the jukebox business. So so that's sort of like the background. So Herman Pastor joins into the business through this guy uh, who's got a questionable background. Herman's also got a questionable questionable background you know bootlegging and all that sort of stuff so just showing you like kind of the world that the the jukebox is has a very sketchy background yeah. uh and and the jukebox companies knew that they knew that the people running the businesses locally regionally for them were very often not great people, people. yeah <laughs> and they were okay with it, they were it? they were okay with that they kind of took the opinion that you know we're not doing it but if you guys do it to help sell on our behalf. That's on you. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. They knew and they just kind of let it slide because it helped their business. And as far as I know, the jukebox companies never got in any real trouble. So now we're kicking off with Herman Pastor? Nope. No, we're not. Oh, we're right. Nope. Herman Pastor is Dirty Slots Part 3. Oh, okay. Dirty Slots Part 2 is Elmo Christian. Okay. All right. My bad. All right, take it away, Elmo Christensen. Okay, so I am not going to do all these notes because they're super detailed, and people who want to know um, can read it on the website MilwaukeeMafia.com. Uh, they'll be <laughs> they'll be posted on there. So I'm going to actually give you like kind of like the summary version because it's it's boring stuff if you want to know like the the details. But some people might because it'll name a lot of the local people who were involved in stuff, and I know you don't like that, but some people might want them. And and just so, you, just to give you an idea, the notes that Gavin is holding in are nine pages long. Yes. So that gives you, a, we would be here all evening into yeah. the morning if you went through everything. Yeah. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to do that. But um, so what happens is we've got a guy named Elmo Christian. And Elmo Christensen is in North Dakota. He's running for the position of attorney general in North Dakota. And he wins the primary. And it's starting to look like he's going to win the main election. While he's running, he gets introduced to a guy named James Brastrup. And I don't know if I'm saying that right, but Brastrup is the closest I can come up with how you would say this. Um, so I guess we'll just call him James. Keep that. Keep that. <laughs> yeah. and, and he's told that this James would make an excellent campaign manager. And well, I don't know how this negotiation came about, but he agreed. He says, yeah, I'll hire James on as my campaign manager. So James, whose daytime job is actually a car dealer, really no politics background at all, ends up getting on board. And he, James, knows a lot of people throughout North Dakota, Minnesota, uh, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, that whole region of the country, who are strongly interested 
in getting slot machines brought into their local taverns, bars, nightclubs, what have you. So you can already see where this is headed. Yes. <laughs> so what he does is he talks to Elmo Christensen and he goes, when you're attorney general of North Dakota, obviously your job is to enforce the laws of the state and, you know, you can make decisions on how to handle different. And he goes, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around these different people I know. They will give you campaign contribution if you tell them that you're not going to go after them for slot machine. And Christensen, I don't know if he needs the money that bad or what, but he goes along with it. And so, like, one of the very first people he gets introduced to is Herman Pastor. And Herman Pastor is uh, a jukebox distributor as well as a slot machine distributor in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities area. Now, I don't know exactly why you are going out of state to raise money for a <laughs> state a position. Good, that's a very valid point. Not entirely clear on that, but he is. And, and Pastor is, like, all on board. He's like... I got these slot machines. I wanted to send them into North Dakota. I know technically that's not legal, but if you look the other way, I'll give you campaign contributions, which he does. He gives him thousands of dollars. He buys him a car. He actually buys Christensen the suit that he wears the day that he's inaugurated. So, so Pastor's like a big financer, financier or whatever of this guy. So one of the first people he meets. But then he meets other people along the way that are similar, not quite on that level, but a guy named Lou Stearns and some other people who have different places throughout the, whatever you call that, upper Midwest. I'm not sure what you call that. So he's doing this. But now Christensen apparently knows that this is not good. He should know this is not good. good. (laughs) Um, So he's already in advance kind of covering his tracks. As he's traveling around, he's buying plane tickets. And he never buys them under the name Christensen. Sometimes he buys them under the name Nelson, sometimes under the name Larson. So he always has like this like Scandinavian last name <laughs> that he picks, but he never uses his own. And apparently, I guess, this is this is the nineteen fifties. Apparently in the nineteen fifties, it was really loose with what you could tell the airlines you're Yeah, name I, I was. would assume you could tell them whatever you wanted, and they're just like, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, later on when the authorities go back and they check, like, the the flight manifest or whatever it's called, you know, they're like, oh, was Christensen on this plane? No, some guy named Larson was on this plane. So, guess he wasn't here, you know. I, it's just that easy to lie about where you're flying, I guess. Is he doing this when he's going to visit these people that are yes. contributing to yes. him? Yes. Okay. So, he's doing that and uh, whatever. So, while he's doing this... Um, Herman Pastor says, okay, I've got an in now. This is great. He also has different places around Minnesota, Iowa, and other places where he's going to start collecting slot machines. Because not only is it illegal to transport them from state to state, each state has its own separate laws. And apparently Minnesota must have a pretty relaxed law about slot machines. But like Iowa had just passed a law saying slot machines. So he has a representative in Iowa go around to all these different clubs and say, hey, can I buy your slot machine real cheap? Because first of the year, they're, they're going to be illegal. Be so he ends up buying them really cheap, brings them back to Minnesota with the intention that he's then going to start being able to ship them out to North Dakota, Montana, wherever. You know, He's got to travel through North Dakota to get to these places. So he's stockpiling, ready for the day that Christensen takes office. 
that are legal in Iowa, but he can start shipping them in other places, which is not legal because you can't ship them across state lines. But if you get the attorney general to kind of look the other way, mm-hmm. you know, fine, whatever. Dude continues to have these meetings. Elmo Christian continues to have these meetings. He even ends up meeting with the people who do run the jukebox and slot machine companies, which are generally the same people. Mm-hmm. The, the companies make both. Specifically, Bailey Manufacturing is making both. So he flies to Chicago, and he's meeting with actual representatives of the company, telling them that he's going to be loose about it. The whole time that he's doing this, of course, he's doing just the opposite in the public. Whenever he's giving speeches and stuff, he's the law is the law. I'm the attorney general. I'm going to enforce it. I'm not going to be loose about slot machines. It's not okay. So he's very different when he's interacting with these people who can finance him as to when he's out in the public. At this point in time, would did people were people against slot machines? Would care that if whether uh, a politician would be lenient on them? I don't know. Okay, it's a good question. I mean, definitely this is even though this is the fifties, and as I've said before, like the federal government really cracks down hard on gambling in the early sixties. There's always been sort of like the anti-gambling laws, and and the laws wouldn't pass if people didn't believe in them. um, Yeah, so. There must be, obviously, you're always going to have people who say gambling, whatever, who cares, but there must have been a sizable amount group. of people that like, no, this is the devil's whatever. Right. So, so I, I mean, I don't know. I don't have the numbers to tell you how popular gambling was or wasn't, but I, I have to assume that enough people thought it was a pretty terrible thing, which, again, today, I, I don't know that, that people feel that. Obviously, people, there's still people who hate gambling. Like, yeah. Like, obviously, but. I feel like we've kind of just accepted it at this point. Right. While he's doing this, going around, Herman Pastor's in Minnesota, and he's now he starts having to buy warehouse space to store all these machines that he's planning on moving when the first of the year comes. And he's also using these same warehouse storage space to store liquor that he is transporting without paying his taxes or whatever. Some kind of you know, illegal liquor transfers. So he's still in this business. Like, even though this is the 50s and we're like 20 (laughs) years away from Prohibition, you know, he still is involved in this moving around booze from state to state. I don't know how that's that profitable, but people do it. And even... Even in Milwaukee, I know people were doing it. People got killed for that in the 50s for moving moving booze with the forged stamps and like that. I don't personally understand it, but... I wonder if the liquor tax was that high back then that yeah. it was worth it. Yeah, could be. Uh, so also, now I, I guess Christensen has got a taste of how this is going to work. So he started to hire the people who are going to work underneath him. And he knows, obviously, if they're going to work underneath him, and he's made these agreements with these guys... The people who work underneath them have to be on the same page about it. So he makes them actually pay to get their job working for him. Like, pay, like not a huge amount, but, you know, say, hey, are you cool with this? Kick me up a few thousand dollars, whatever. You can work under me as, like, an inspector going around inspecting. I don't know if this is, like, some kind of arrangement where they're going to get paid okay. back later. I don't really know. But he's trying to make sure that he can actually do the things that he promised these people he's going to and to do that he has to get some questionable people to work under him you can't have a guy who's like going to go around and try to shut down every gambling place when you're telling people your guys aren't going to do that mm-hmm. i don't know so the ins and outs of this are kind of kind of confusing but as long as you understand the general he ultimately does say you know i met with these people but i didn't make these promises and everything else 
um, on April 20th, 1951. So now he's been in the job for a couple months. He got sworn in in January, April of this year. He sends a memo to all of the people working under him on the issue of gambling. He says, I am not going to allow it, which is what many people thought he would say. He instead cited a previous court case saying, slot machines are illegal. Even if they did, did not pay any cash, but merely free games, they were still illegal. He wrote in his memo, these machines should be taken out of circulation. Amazingly, he went so far as to write, it is rumored that persons are going about the state offering immunity for the operation of these machines for a consideration. This cannot be tolerated. So uh, if that wasn't clear, he's basically calling out people who are taking money from these people in exchange for allowing their gambling to operate. <laughs> which is exactly what he exactly was doing. exactly what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so here he is, again, he's releasing a public statement, making it very clear, I'm against gambling and I won't take payoffs while he's doing, doing it. it. <laughs> yeah. In September 1952, so this has been going on now over a year, year and a half, an indictment comes down against Herman Pastor, Herman Pastor's brother-in-law, and another employee of their company. Here specifically, they were accused of buying 38 slot machines from Iowa and bringing them into St. Paul, which would be illegal. This was this is sort of a gray area because that when they had bought them up in Iowa, they were still legal. And if they had got them into Minnesota b before the first of the year, it probably would have been legal. But whoever was investigating this did a really good job. <laughs> and they found a bill of lading showing that Although they got some of them out of state in time, a couple of them were on a shipment. This, apparently these 38 were on a shipment like January 3rd. Oh, my God. So they're like, nope, we got you. <laughs> so they end up indicting these guys. So was it the Iowa law was the part that made it illegal to transfer them across state lines? I kind of got the impression no. that that was a federal thing. It is a federal thing. So yeah, maybe the, I should be more clear. And I'm not always as clear as I can be. Uh, so these are actually two separate laws. Iowa had a state law that was going into effect, making them illegal in the state. Right. There was also a federal law going into effect at the oh, same okay, time. Okay, okay, okay. Called the Johnson Act that said you can't bring them across state, state lines. lines. Gotcha. So it's just a, it's a coincidence that they was both a state and a federal law going into effect. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So they did that. Shortly after they're indicted for this, a second indictment comes down for conspiracy to violate the Johnson Act. And this this conspiracy indictment comes down against Herman Pastor, Alan Nilva, his brother-in-law, and Elmo Christensen, the Attorney General of North Dakota. In the indictment, the, the people uh, pro, uh, prosecuting this named 21 overt acts, which is a legal term basically meaning there was 21 incidents where they could actually pinpoint exactly when, where, how, they were violating these rules. So uh, that's not good. And when, you know, if they were like, oh, we found you on this one occasion. No, here's 21 times we can point to this. So that's bad. So now, so now, because you said the politician mm -hmm. the, was Nate wasn't on this indictment. So yes. does this mean that they've found instances of them bringing these into South Dakota? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. Like, okay. like he didn't personally drive any across the state lines. But because this is a, a conspiracy indictment, it's a little looser on that. Because as long as he was part of like the okaying it, he's part of the yeah. Uh, Christensen turns himself into the authorities. Uh, he was immediately released on five thousand dollars bail. 
uh, Pastor and Nilva, his brother-in-law, they were released on $10,000 so each. So they definitely came down harder on the actual slot machine guys than they came down on the Attorney General. Mm-hmm. The day after this indictment, Christensen told a reporter that he was shocked. He was shocked by the charges. <laughs> he says, this comes after we have cleaned up gambling in the state. There are no gambling devices in the state, and yet I am indicted. Christensen said that he had no intention of resigning his position. Later, he issued a press release expanding on his thoughts. He said, I see this as an attempt to smear my character and ruin my political career by a political party so ridden with crime, corruption, and communism that they seek to hide their own crookedness by accusing innocent people. Wow. Yes. Yes. He wasn't violating the laws. He is a victim of communism. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Which... Back then, probably throwing the communism. I mean, they probably just did that all the time. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. It's it's. I say it, and I'm kind of like I kind of laugh about it, but it's it's the 50s, so yeah. that's a pretty serious thing to throw out there. Okay, so the FBI is now kind of looking into this. At this point, the FBI actually had really no involvement at all in any of this investigation. Now that the indictment came down, they said, "Hey, FBI, can you kind of like look into this and like get some more facts before we go to trial?" And so the FBI is like, oh, okay. And at this point in time, J. Edgar Hoover's still running the FBI. Because J. Edgar Hoover like, was around for like 40 years. This guy is like always around. <laughs> and he's kind of like, I don't really want anything to do with this. Like, this is, this is political, and I don't want it to go the wrong way. And really, this sounds more like a tax problem than anything else. Because, like, he's, you know, taking money he shouldn't have been taking. This sounds like a tax problem. So he pawns it off on the IRS? Is that how he it? tries. <laughs> he tries. But ultimately he comes down and he says, this case is attracting a lot of attention in North Dakota, and there will be some who, unless we do conduct an investigation, will accuse us of jumping through some kind of a political... So he basically decides he's going to do the absolute bare minimum. Okay. He asks the prosecutors, what do you want us to look into? And they give him, like, a very short list of things. Like, can you go around, make a few inquiries here and there? And they say yeah. So they keep it, like, really minimal, which is usually the exact opposite of what, what the, the FBI, FBI does. does. <laughs> like, normally if the FBI thinks somebody has committed a crime, like, they're going to look into everything and everybody that person knows. And, and this kind of goes back to, I can't remember the gentleman's name that we talked about, but the gambling guy. Right. Who the FBI just followed around for, like, his entire life trying to find something to pin him on, but they couldn't find anything. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That I think that was Tommy Sorcy. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and he basically makes his living as a professional gambler, so... Everybody he called, everybody he visited, they get interviewed and everything else. In this case, and and I get it, like when it's when it's political, and I think I think this is still true to some extent today. I think like the FBI does not want to get, get involved in the middle in of a political fight or whatever. Right? Yeah. Because if they do anything wrong, they're going to get accused of picking sides or whatever. Mm. So I I get it, but it's it is funny like when you see the memos because. I'm sure Hoover never thought anyone's ever going to see his memo because, like, the open records laws weren't passed until the 70s. So he was already dead. And then the open records laws come out, and you can all see, like, all these personal memos he shot off to the different offices. And it's funny because he wrote whatever the hell he wanted. And he's like, he's yeah. like, just make sure you don't spend more, as little time on this as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he'll write, he'll write things in there. He'll like, I think this guy's a racist, and or I think this guy's a homo. <laughs> like he'll write these like little notes on things, like 
dude, you can't say that. But, <laughs> you know, but he didn't think anybody was ever going to – they wouldn't probably do that today because now everybody knows that. Yeah, that there is the potential that could yeah. be released at any time. Yeah, but he would write personal notes on reports all the time. They were like, okay, man, I don't know. <laughs> A little, little hairy there. Yep. Yeah, so, okay, so the – the Iowa case goes to trial, and, you know, Herman Pastor's employee testified against him. So shame on that employee for testifying against him, but he did. And he tells the whole story about him going around rounding up the slot machines for, for cheap, trying to get them out of the state before the law passed. Um, so he, he basically, you know, tells the whole thing beginning to end. They're like, yeah, okay, you were the guy who did it, so I guess. But this guy gets in no trouble at all, and I don't know if it's because he— you know, testifying for the state, or if it's just because he's an employee doing his job. I don't know why this guy didn't get in any trouble, but he didn't get in. Yeah. And he even further, actually, I should point out, he even further says that he felt threatened because, quote, there were a lot of Chicago boys who didn't appreciate my testifying against Herman Pat. He said, if I ever expected to be in the slot machine business again, I better not testify. <laughs> so um, it's really vague. Like, there's no names or anything. But it's, again, it's, like, implied that Herman Pastor has these very shady connections. And uh, going against him means, you know, the Chicago the boys, yes. which is, like, the vague way of saying the mob yeah. is going to come after you. So, uh, apparently this guy didn't care because he did testify. And uh, Herman Pastor did end up going to jail. Good on him. Uh, also testifying was a guy from the American Legion in Davenport, Iowa, who said that when the law passed that was going to make the slot machines illegal in Iowa, this hit them hard because apparently the American Legion used these as fundraisers and they made enough money off their slot machines that they were able to build their $400,000 clubhouse. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, he's like, yeah, when they banned it, like that hit us hard. And he said, yeah, we sold, we sold the machines to Pastor for $35 a piece. Um, which I don't know what the going rate was at the time, but if these machines brought in four hundred thousand dollars, yeah, um, thirty-five bucks for a machine seems, it seems like, dirt like a cheap. really good deal. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah. So pastors found guilty. The local media asked for a photo after the announcement, and pastor said, "I hate to disappoint you, but we have relatives and children living here. I don't want my photo in the paper." <laughs> um, a motion for a new trial was filed, but that was rejected. So they were sentenced to one year and one day in federal prison. Wow, that's a random. That's actually that's pretty standard. One year and one day. One year and one day is pretty standard. Okay. Uh, my understand. I could be wrong on this, and somebody can write in and correct me. But my understanding is like if it's under a year, you go to jail. If it's over a year, you go to prison. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's like just... one year and one day is just to make sure you go yeah, to a prison. prison. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Um, and I, again, somebody's, if somebody knows otherwise, let me know. But that's my understanding of where the one year and one day thing comes from. All right. So they're investigating. That's So that's the Iowa part. Now they're investigating the part with the attorney general. general moving the slots into South Dakota. Yes. Or... Yes. So they're looking into this. They're trying to figure out which machines they can go after and for. They're getting the different opinions of the prosecutors involved. And they said, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room here of what is or isn't a slot machine. Um, because, again, some pay off money, some pay off free games. And they're like, we don't want anything that can, could get tossed out in court. So we're only going to narrowly go after the things that are so obviously slot machines. Okay. So, like, 
he explains this, and I don't even know what all this means. There's like difference between what he calls one ball machines, console machines. I'm sure people know what that is. Flat top machines. I have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. But basically, it comes down to the things that are real and drum machines, which is what you think of when you think of a slot machine, like right. it's the spinning wheels with okay. the with the pitchers on them. Um, they file the defense files a motion to dismiss because of insufficient evidence. Uh, that got dismissed, of course, and they finally end up going to trial. All this stuff comes out. I mean, I'm not going to retell it because I kind of quickly summarized all of it. And they go to trial for this. And what do you suppose happens at a trial? Not guilty. Not guilty. I'm probably... Mm. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. You're right. You're right. Plus, there's a politician involved. So, like, I think the politician probably had a lot of things he could do to make this disappear. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Who knows? But, um, yeah, so basically... Basically, you're right. They, the three guys go on trial. Elmo Christensen gets found not guilty. He's acquitted. They let right. him go. The other two guys, Herman Pastor and his brother-in-law, um, are each each essentially let go because they, they get a hung jury. The jury okay. can't make a decision. So then at that point, they either have to let them go or they have to try it all over. The prosecutor at this point, they, they kind of got lucky, I guess, because the prosecutor's like, I'm about six months away from retirement, so I don't think I want to do So they basically... Wow, a hung jury. Yeah. Which I don't even know how that happens because I don't know how this is debatable that they were bringing slot machines into other... Well, I mean... Unless they just couldn't get any club owners to testify that they did. Yeah, or... It seems pretty clear that they were. Or, you know, I mean, there's a lot. Like, if none of the club owners are willing to come forth and say where they got the slot machines from... Right. Or, I mean, or what, but... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's really weird. And and Christensen, like, at trial, he actually testifies in his own defense, which, um, as I'll say, every time somebody does this, don't do that. <laughs> like, it's never good. It never works out in your favor. Apparently, this time it did because he got away with it. But um, his defense was that this entire story was dreamed up by James Brostrup, his campaign manager. He goes... Any of this stuff about us bringing stuff across state lines, anything about me taking money from these club owners, all made up. This guy had a had a wild dream, and he <laughs> told you this story. Never happened. Which, again, going backwards, he never actually put the name Christensen on anything. So to, so, so to prove that he was meeting with all these guys was hard to do other than with this campaign manager saying that he did. Yeah, and it's it's weird because... You would think, I don't know, back in the 50s, like, you would think that there would be a very good paper trail showing this money. But we are back in the 50s, and who knows what yeah. what that kind of stuff looks like in the 50s. Like, when you get a campaign uh, contribution, is it a guy just giving you a pile of cash? or how? Does I'm assuming in this case it's probably cash. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... I mean, especially if you don't really want it known who you're getting the money from. Probably, I yeah. don't think they were doing it the right way. <laughs> so, so, yeah... It's it's weird. I I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of upset that the freaking politician gets away with. I mean, based on the way I'm going off the way you tell the story, this guy should have just been buried. But based off of the the FBI investigation, it seems pretty clear this is more than just his campaign manager making up a story. Yeah, I they mean, were able to get a lot of people to say that he had met. But of course, getting the people that were really deeply involved, they'd have to kind of flip on him, and that's. That's harder to, um, but yeah, it's funny. So at the at the trial, when the jury comes back and is like, "Yeah, you guys are good to go," the judge actually then speaks to the jury 
on the record, and he says, I am disappointed, but I'm sure your disagreement was a conscientious and honest one on the part of all of you. I find that interesting that the judge, <laughs> who really has no part in this, because like when it's a jury trial, the judge basically just sits there to make sure the rules are followed. Mm -hmm. Like For him to basically say, yeah, these guys were guilty and you screwed it up, like, I don't think he's supposed to say that. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. But he's but he's nice about it. He's like, I'm sure that I'm sure you thought very hard about your even though it was wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so do we know how many like what kind of volume we're talking about of of things that were brought across the border to industry? I don't I don't know, but it seems significant enough because based on the people that we know we're getting the gambling devices, the slot machines. I mean, they're going into the Dakotas. They're going into Montana, Wyoming, all the way out to Idaho. Yeah, so they're, I mean. So, uh, unless it's this just, that's it. Like, there's just, like, five guys with one machine <laughs> each. each yeah, but yeah. I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. So, I think this is much larger than what they actually were able to show. And just the amount of stuff that it, the story basically tried to represent of what they were bringing in, in from Iowa. It sounded like they were purchasing up. Uh, slot machines right. from Iowa left and right because you said at one point in time that he had to get more storage space just to right. store them all right that he was buying so it was probably hundreds maybe even dozens of them it, possi possible possible yeah I mean yeah and and some of the, some of these answers might be in the like I'm skimming a lot to try to get through this so some of them might even be but like I said if people want like it'll be online you can read it but it's so, so much of this is like the nitty gritty of all the names of like the different mm -hmm. club owners and it'll just make the story more confusing than it already is yes. to try to throw that in. But if you're interested, like if, if you live in Idaho and you want to know no. <laughs> like, who the slot like... machine owners were in <laughs> yeah. Idaho, we got that information. So, <laughs> um, so there is that. Um, there isn't a lot more. Actually, there's only one more thing. So if you got a question, throw it out there. But otherwise, I only got one little final follow up. Well, I, I guess, no, you finish it up because my next question would make most sense after. Okay, so the only other thing is that another piece of this dragged on in court for a while. So the brother-in-law of Herman Pastor also happens to be an attorney. And he ends up getting in trouble for contempt of court because they had subpoenaed various documents related to the Elmo Christensen case, and he never provided them. He purposely would not give them whatever records he had i don't know if it was like accounting or what it was but whatever they requested he wouldn't give them this dragged on in court all the way up to 1957 they ultimately was sent to jail for 90 days uh for a contempt of court which is pretty good because That's they pretty... they, wa they wanted they wanted to get first they wanted to get him a year in jail but he dragged this on so long he got it down to 90 days <laughs> he never did end up having to, to, turn, to the turn in the documents because the case was thrown out later. <laughs> so he might have had, like, the smoking gun documents, but um, because he didn't turn them over, you know, they got away, and he only had to do 90 days. So, Well, well good for him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, that's a big no-no. Uh, if you're an attorney, even if you're not an attorney, but if you're, if you're an attorney and you get subpoenaed, you're supposed to turn over your stuff, you know. But I guess if you're willing to get contempt of court and go to jail for it, that's on you. So... So I guess my 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 final question of this episode is is okay where does the story go now because mm -hmm. all right we got we got him in jail like Herman Pastor is in jail right yes and you said that the third part is about Herman Pastor yes so does he get out of jail and just pick up right where he left off and start pe pe peddling more 
illegal equipment. I mean, I guess we'll we'll see next time. The third part is actually the shortest of the three parts. Um, this is all just building up. Like, so the first part again, Sammy Taran. We're showing like this is the background. Like he's surrounded with these these. Uh, I, I don't even. I want to say criminals, but that's like that doesn't seem like the right way to say it. Like just these questionable guys uh, in Minnesota. Brings in Herman Pastor. Herman Pastor kind of learns underneath him. Does more criminal stuff. Gets bigger, more successful. Has his business not only in the Twin Cities, but then relevant to our podcast, he has his second office in Milwaukee. So he's also going back and forth between the two, doing this jukebox thing. Um, gets in trouble now with the Dakotas, and he'll come back to the story next time. And yeah, I, I don't know if I really want to say too much, but but it's the shortest of the three, and we'll kind of see where things end okay. up for for Herman Pastor in part three. He's probably going to turn into a billionaire real estate investor, and I'm just kidding. That is actually damn near perfectly spot on <laughs> is it really yeah no. yeah that's almost exactly right <laughs> well so there's not even going to be crime in the next <laughs> no there is there <laughs> is there is but that is actually he he goes really hard into real, real estate, estate so you're actually spot we on may there. have said that at some point so yeah i i might not be that close maybe so. not, maybe not but that is that is true he he, I mean, he still has a jukebox thing but i think he goes really deep into real estate more so all right, well, I don't have any other questions. Um, as always, we do have a Patreon. Yes. And we have new tiers on the Patreon. They get you free books, free invites to be on the podcast list. Yes. So, And as always, free bonus. So if you're interested in that, jump over to MilwaukeeMafia.com. Check that out. Gavin, I believe people can contact you. How do they do that? They can. <laughs> they can. Uh, if you go to MilwaukeeMafia.com, there should be links on there. Otherwise, the direct way is MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. I think I've been making this clear, but uh, I'm actually trying to slowly dissolve the Facebook at this point because I just hate it that much. But before I dissolve it completely, we are working on setting up a mailing list, which for all I know could be active by the time this comes out. But as of this recording, it is not active. So we are working on getting a mailing list to replace the Facebook. That is very true. And we will let you know as soon as that is. Hear all the fun things that Gavin's working on through there. As always, we appreciate everybody's continued support. And we will be back in two weeks with the conclusion to the I forget what the oh, dirty, dirty slot series. Dirty yeah, slot so That's series. what it's called. Yes, and the third, I guarantee you, the third will be the best. Like this one, I, I like the story, but I know that like because it does drag down in the weeds. It's probably not the most interesting, but it, the the payoff is coming. It it is a good story though. Like, yeah. and I think it's really, regardless of of anything, I think it's really interesting to see how these like underworld things work. Yeah, you know, like the. Just the crazy things people get into, I just find really. Yeah, and and so I know we're trying to wrap up, but like seriously, like who knew? Who here knew that the Attorney General of North Dakota was like on federal trial for <laughs> yeah slot exactly. machines with <laughs> with mob guys? I bet you before today you had never heard that. And if somebody would have told you that before today. You would have been like, yeah, that's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so maybe I didn't tell it in the most exciting way, but just think about that. <laughs> like the attorney general. So, yeah, yeah that's cool. That's, it's a cool story. Well, I don't know if it's cool, but it's a cool story. <laughs> yeah. And we do want to reiterate, too, Gavin gave you that email. 
we do need questions for our Patreon. Yes. So please, please, please send us any questions you have so we can so we have some content to generate for the Patreon. And other than that, we'll be back two weeks with the conclusion of this and one week with the Patreon episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.